things that I talk about a lot is the fact that there are a lot of layers to the ethical and fair trade fashion world. It's not just about pretty handmade clothes. There are so many complex issues that really kind of hide beneath the surface or sometimes maybe they're brought to the surface. Everything from the orphan crisis to human trafficking to child and slave labor All those types of things really are there hiding beneath the surface. And it's time that we talk about those issues so that people can understand why ethical and fair trade fashion is so important and why it's important to be purchasing from companies and brands that you know the practices behind the things that they make. And it's time, in my opinion, that we talk about those things and we bring them to the surface and we make it not scary anymore to have difficult conversations. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Carly Burson, the founder of Tribe Alive. Tribe Alive is one of my favorite ethical fashion brands. They employ and empower artisans in six countries around the world, and they are the epitome of a brand that is changing communities, countries, and people's lives. This was such a fun conversation, and we talk about just about everything. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Carly. Hey, Carly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Molly. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to get some time to chat with you. I am so excited to finally connect because I feel like we have so many friends in common that I'm like, how have we not connected yet? Um, So Emily Sexton and Taylor... Uh, Meadows are both. I feel like I've known you for years. I know. Just because of them. So it is strange that we haven't connected until now. I know. So, and I feel like the last couple times you've been in town, been in the Raleigh area, like I was out of town or something. So I don't know. We Our our paths keep crossing. Uh, But yeah, yeah. well, hopefully we'll get together in person soon. I know. I know. So um, I, so I just, I'm really looking forward to, because I've been a huge, huge fan of yours and Tribe Alive for so long. Um, I mean, I was introduced to you originally by Taylor. And um, so Taylor and I met because, so Emily and I were friends first. And uh, for the listeners, you know Emily Sexton because I've had her on the show. Um, And she also co-hosted my um, gift guide episode with me back in November, which was so much fun to do. Oh, fun. She's hilarious. Um, And so Taylor and I met because we were both models for a Root Collective shoot. And oh, yeah. So we both know Bethany. Yes. Too. Oh, yeah. We so both know Bethany, yes. which Bethany, I just feel like at this point knows everyone. Like everyone I talk to is like, oh, yeah, Bethany Tran. I know her. Like we're like BFFs. Um, but so Bethany and I or so Taylor and I were models for a Root Collective shoot. Um, and this was like years ago because I, I mean, I wasn't even pregnant with Amos yet. Like, I mean, I think this is maybe like. 2014 or 2015 um and so that was how taylor and i met and we just immediately clicked because we have very similar like goofy personalities and oh, i um, love that yeah she's so much fun she's yeah we're so great friends and i i miss her i miss all of them bethany emily taylor it's such an amazing group of women uh they really are so you need to clearly come back and uh to the raleigh area so that we can yes. all hang out this would be fun. last time we were in raleigh i said to my husband i was like we could live here we love Yeah, we love Raleigh. Yes. Where do you live? I don't think I actually know that. Yeah. So we live in Fort Worth, Texas now. I'm originally from the East Coast, but we've been in Texas for about five years now, I think. I love Texas. I have been there a few times and every time I go, I'm like, I could, I think Texas is the only state that I would like legitimately consider moving to like leaving North Carolina because like North Carolina is is my home now I mean I was born in Virginia raised in Virginia but North Carolina is where I call home and I don't ever envision leaving but I'm like I think Texas is probably the only place that I would be like yeah I could I could move to Texas (laughs) yeah and it's so nice to hear you say that because honestly I wasn't thrilled about moving to Texas I think if you're not from here you don't really know how much it has to offer but we're so happy here. It's been such a great place to raise our family, to start our business. It's really diverse, which is so important to us. And 
people are just so kind here. Like the community that we've been able to just build up around us. I, I literally don't know how I could be a mother anywhere else mm. because we have just this amazing village. So yeah, we're really happy here. And I try to be so much more of an advocate for Texas, especially yeah. to, you know, my people back home in the Northeast. And yeah. I think it just, yeah, it's kind of like this gem that people just don't know about. It has so many great things going for it. Yeah, I remember I when I was in college, I went to a conference in Texas. I've been to a couple conferences there, but I went to one and we went to the Fort Worth Stockyards and we just so had the fun. best time. I mean, it's just the food there is amazing. I mean, all of all of the things. Um, one of my dear friends from um, that I met through church, uh, she is originally from Texas and her she and her husband just moved back to Plano, so which is not too far from Dallas Fort Worth area no. um, and yeah so anyway I just I could sit here and we could just do an entire episode talking about how awesome Texas is uh, but that's not what this <laughs> is about so uh, without further ado I want you to give us the Carly 101 and tell us all about your story and how you started Tribe Alive. Sure yeah so I started Tribe Alive uh, we're going on about gosh four years ago I at the time was working in traditional fashion and doing store design and merchandising for what well, we were living in. We were in New York City and at the time I was working for Ann Taylor. Um, and then we got relocated to Texas and I relocated to Texas with J. Crew. And my husband and I were in the middle of finalizing our adoption and just were in this really great place. We were growing our family. I was super fulfilled and happy with my career. But really the adoption of my daughter changed everything for me. And, you know, I feel like my story and tribal life story is really rooted in her. And when we were basically, we went to Ethiopia, we were there for a long time trying to finalize what ended up just being a really complicated adoption process. And while we were in Ethiopia, we spent a lot of time in our daughter's orphanage so that we could slowly transition her out of what was her first home and her first family. And what we witnessed um, really for an hour a day was birth parents coming to visit their children in the orphanage. And for oh. me, it was just really shocking to see and something I felt that I was so uneducated about. I had spent my whole life wanting to adopt children and be a part of impacting the orphan crisis. And there I was in my daughter's orphanage and looking at adoption and child relinquishment in a completely different way. Wow. And yeah, and it just struck me that these children were wanted. They had parents who loved them. Um, they had parents who wanted them, but they were in an orphanage because their parents weren't able to feed them. They weren't able to provide a roof over their head for you know, reasons based on poverty. And for me, it just felt like the greatest injustice I had ever seen yeah. was parents not having a chance and a choice to be able to raise their children. And it just felt like poverty should not be a reason that you can't keep your child. Yeah. So we came home. Um, we brought our daughter home and I had a short maternity leave and got back to work and, you know, went back to a job that I had previous, previously loved and just felt really fulfilled at and really successful at. And I just didn't feel the same way anymore. And I remember having a conversation with my husband that I didn't feel like I was working in an industry or doing something that was honoring Ellie's birth mother. And I felt like yeah. that was really important and that I wanted my daughter to grow up and learn through me that women like her birth matter, her, um, excuse me, her birth mother matter really deeply and that yeah. she matters as much as I do. Yeah. So I, you know, our, our, our plans as a family slowly started to shift where we thought that we would kind of jump right back into another adoption. And I just decided um, I didn't want my legacy or my efforts to be centered in raising other women's children, but I wanted to have more of an impact on the true cause of child relinquishment, which is really the economic insecurity that women face in the developing world. Yeah. So I started Tribe Alive um, utilizing fashion. It was something I knew. It was something I was experienced in really as a hobby to help a few women in Honduras partnering with this amazing nonprofit called Mi Esperanza and the artisans they have there. And then we partnered with an amazing organization in Guatemala and 
just started small. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea where it would go or how it would grow. But we started and um, four years later, we're employing over 200 artisans in six different countries. And um, just seeing the impact of the brand truly keep families together and give women the opportunity to raise their children in the way that they dream of raising their children. That's absolutely incredible. Um, and I, this is an, you know, this is an issue and a topic that we, I do feel like we talk about it a lot on this podcast, but I, I don't think it's something we even talk about enough is the issue of orphans who are not actually orphans and just mm-hmm. what that looks like in so many developing nations where parents are having to drop their kids off at orphanages simply because they cannot afford to raise them and and mm-hmm. what it looks like to provide economic stability for families and for moms to be able to raise their kids and you know I say this all the time as well it's just like these these moms these women like they want a job they just want a job they just want an opportunity and they just want a chance to provide for their family um so I Absolutely. love I love that you took what you knew which was fashion and and taking it to you know, and using it in a way, using that gift and that passion in a way that impacts so many other people. So I would love to know just the, what did those early stages look like when you got the idea for Tribe Alive and you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. How did you begin to know where to look? How did you find with uh, Mia Esperanza? How did you find the organization in Guatemala? Like, did you just kind of start designing clothes or did you kind of work backwards and find what they were doing first and then adapted it here? Well, I mean, gosh, in the beginning, I had, I just had no clue. Honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. I really wasn't sure how to get started, but I'm really lucky that, um, my aunt runs a profit, a nonprofit in um, Honduras. She, so she is who founded Mia Esperanza, you know, 15 years ago. Awesome. So I grew up um, with this woman and this role model in my life who dedicated her life to helping impoverished women and dedicated her life to being one of the pioneers of really fair trade product and ethically yeah. made things. So I got to just see this nonprofit in Honduras flourish and it was a place that was really special to me and that I had traveled to many times. And after we adopted Ellie and brought her home, we took our annual trip to Honduras and brought Ellie. And I just was reinvigorated and seeing what they were doing down there. Um, and just, you know, watching women work and watching women create beautiful things, but it was being done on a small scale and it was products that were really being marketed, um, and sold to missionaries. And I just saw, a place for myself in what they were doing. I I saw that I didn't need to recreate what they were doing. I didn't even need to start something anew. I just wanted to be a part of it and saw that, well, wait a minute, I have design experience and I know how to help these women and help this organization get access to the marketplace. And I know how to consult and advise on modern designs that women in the U.S. would be interested in buying. Yeah. So it started there, but it was really inspired by them. And, you know, I'm, I'm really humbled by that, that just this amazing little nonprofit in Honduras, I, I don't think really even expected to be where they are now because they're now our main partner and main producer. And, you know, they've worked on 80,000 unit orders for us. And wow. I mean, it's just an incredible organization, but they really opened up doors for me, led the way, um, and still continued to, you know, teach me how to help in a productive way. Cause there's so many times that helping really hurts the developing mm-hmm. world. Yes. And I need to walk along alongside people that will really keep me honest and keep me educated on what the issues are in the countries that we work in. And our nonprofit partners are really the essence of everything that we do. So it started with them and it started there. And I, and I actually never thought that we would grow beyond that. Yeah. Um, and it started with jewelry. I, they were starting a small jewelry program and I was like, I want in, I want us to, you know, I, I want to start a company and we'll design some jewelry pieces. And we started working with just four women in the beginning. And all they knew how to do in the beginning was, I mean, e- simple, but beautiful, like just easy, 
beaded designs, like really beginner skill sets. And now our women are master jewelers. They're mm. soldering. They're metalsmith workers. I mean, it's in. I mean, I, I know you've seen our jewelry yeah. collection. It's incredible to see in four years' time women who most had never had a formal education. Some of them don't read and write. They started by Mia Esperanza, Mia Esperanza training them how to string beads and now look at what they're doing. And it, to me, that's the best part about what we do is seeing the progress and the progression and the true partnerships between us and these nonprofits. We need them so badly and they need us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it really started with them and I always credit it back to them and how they just opened that door for me. I would love for you to share a little bit and go a little, let's dig a little deeper into what you talked about. You hit on this briefly about how sometimes we, what we think is actually helping is actually hurting. What is, what are some examples that you've kind of learned over the years or or kind of what, what is something you see now as like, oh man, I had no idea, you know, in the beginning, I really would have thought this would have been helpful, but this was actually hurtful. Um, What are some of those lessons you've learned along the way? Well, I mean, I think from the very beginning, I really learned um, that I was that tribal I was not going to be rooted in a give back model. Um, you know, there's so many brands where it's based more in charity and or non or nonprofits or organizations. It's really rooted in charity, which is needed. But I just was able to learn and see the effects of opportunity. It's sort of like that saying, you know, if you give a person a fish or teach a person to fish. And I really wanted to teach people to fish. And because I'm a woman, I know that what opportunity means to me, I know what it feels like to be successful, to feel capable, to be a part of taking care of my family. And that's where I get my self-esteem. And I wanted that for other women. And nobody you know, for, for us, it's about employing people. It's about lifting them out of poverty. But what we do is really rooted in women believing in themselves and recognizing their worth, recognizing their capabilities. And once that happens, everything changes. They make different decisions for themselves, for their families. So I just really wanted to be a part of a movement that was creating opportunity and not giving away anything. I think, you know, working in countries where the NGO world has really flooded in like countries Mm. like Haiti and, you know, where there are brands that are giving away shoes in communities where it's putting local shoemakers out of business. And Mm. we, you know, whenever there's a disaster, we send in all of our t-shirts and all of our American things. And we don't realize that we're then crushing those countries' economies. So I think, you know, I I love that I feel like Americans rise to the occasion when there is a disaster and when there is a need. But I think a lot of times we do that in a way that isn't educated and it ends up hurting these countries rather than helping them. And it's not because anyone has bad intentions. It's just that we don't know better. So I feel like I've, and trust me, I have made mistakes too and I have made the wrong decisions, but it's why I'll never make the decision to create our own workshops and studios in these countries. It's why I always want to wa- walk alongside these nonprofit partners who are constantly educating us on how we help specifically in that country and what the specific needs and issues are in the countries that we work in. Um, because it would be devastating to me if our mission ended up causing harm when all we ever intended was for it to, to cause good. Yeah. I think that issue that you bring up of talking about when sometimes what we do that's really well intentioned is actually the opposite of is really, you know, crushing economies is such a important topic. I actually coincidentally just um, it was published. I'm looking at it right now. It was published May 29th. I mean, we're recording this in June and this airs in July. But um, this you know, this article just came out. It was from the Washington Post where it talks about how African nations are fed up with the West's Um, Mm hand-me-downs and how, like, when you go and donate your clothes to the Salvation Army or Goodwill, it's pretty much just sold off to a private company and shipped to sub-Saharan Africa. And it's a billion-dollar industry. And it's just, like, it's becoming so overwhelming to these um, African nations that they, I, I mean... They're just they don't even know what to do. And it's crushing their economy. I mean, it's just right. filling their landfills. And but it's like what, 
you know, what do you do? And, and, and it's such a huge issue. Like, how do you educate millions of people on a better way to donate your things or a better way to help? You know, people think like, oh, OK, I'm going to clean out my closet. I'm going to donate to Goodwill. And like, I've done a good thing. Like, wipe my hands. Right. I'm good. And it's actually like, no, 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 no. That's not actually that helpful. <laughs> um, it's so true. And it's really not, you know, I love that you bring up that article because it's such a great article. And it's not even just crushing economies. It's it, it, what people don't realize is it's taking away cultural preservation. In mm-hmm. Guatemala, there are things called pacas now where it's all American secondhand things. And that's what Guatemalans are buying. And women who used to weave their clothes and, and like, make indigenous Mayan whoopeels and wear them. And it's a part of their culture and women who made money as weavers, weaving clothes for other people. Now it's cheaper and it's easier to buy our secondhand things. So it's not even putting local makers out of work, but it's, it's crushing tradition and, and it's, it's a really big problem, but and it's a bigger problem than I know how to solve. Oh, for and sure. And it doesn't mean, you know, for us, it's like we never want people to feel, we just never want to be a platform where we're like, if you wear anything unethical, you can't be a part of this movement. Like yeah. this change is really hard and it it's still a process for me. And, but I think, you know, if anybody would ask me like, well, how, how do we, how do we do better? I think we just have to think about a lifestyle with less. Mm-hmm. I think if we keep consuming and keep consuming and keep consuming, there's waste to that. But it's like if we invest in just the fewer, better things that we need in life that we're going to hold on to for a long period of time, it's like that's how we can combat all this consumerism and all this waste and all of these things that just en- end up in landfills. Even for us as a brand, we're like, how do we impact waste? How do we how are, how can we be more sustainable? Because we saw even waste in our own clothing collection. So we've yeah. moved half of our clothing model to a factory in Guatemala where everything comes from upcycled denim, mm. literally bags and bags and bags of what would have just ended up in a, in, in a landfill is made into incredible and beautiful textiles. So as companies, we should all be thinking about how can we be a part of affecting this problem? And then as consumers, we have to really think about the things we buy really better mean something to us because if they don't, they can be really detrimental to the world. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And I I love that you made that comment about how um, sometimes people in the ethical fashion world take on the attitude of, um, you know, if you shop at Target, you can't sit with us. And right. um, that is something I have really wrestled with and really struggled with. And it's even part of why I... I'm sometimes hesitant to to call myself or like when somebody asks what I blog about, I'm really hesitant to say I'm an ethical fashion blogger because I have met and like I know that that like um, that there are people that categorize themselves that listen to this show. So I love you. You know who I'm talking about. But there are sometimes like I feel like in the quote ethical fashion blogger community even like if you aren't zero waste and if like you own something from J Crew like you are going to ethical fashion hell and like right. and um and so I it, it it hurts me because I feel like that then makes the people or or the the ethical fair trade community feel exclusive, which is what I don't want because my whole goal in part of why I started this podcast and part of what I do with my blog is I want everyday consumers. Like I consider myself, you know, I'm an early 30s suburban white mom. Like I drive a minivan. My 21-year-old <laughs> self hates me. Um, like my 21-year-old self that like even four years ago, I was like, I will never drive a minivan. And now I'm like, y'all get in my minivan. Look at my sliding doors. I got a DVD player. Like I love my minivan and I am not ashamed. But four years ago, I would have like punched myself in the face knowing that I am <laughs> who I am I mean there are times where like I'll be sitting and like my husband's like what would your 21 year old self think of you right now <laughs> I'm like oh I think all of us are 21 year old selves it's so not like approved. are and just I think like that's the beauty of it oh, no I mean, yeah yeah so I, I like when I think of myself as the early 30s white suburban mini driving minivan driving mom like I'm the average you know I'm the average <laughs> consumer I guess you know in in yeah. a lot of ways and so like I'm I just want to show like 
other, you know, doesn't have to be, I mean, like any race, whatever, but I want to show like the quote average consumer he, like you can care about the brands that right. you buy from. Like you can buy ethically for yourself and your kids. Like it does not have to break the bank. It does not be, need to be this overly complicated thing. It's just about educating yourself in a particular area and starting with one thing. Like right, if, right. If and I think in life we just yes. have to do the best that we can. And I think with what we're given. So yeah, it's like so many platforms and so many industries. It it's all or nothing. And I. Think I think we're seeing that so much in our country right now and it's polarizing and it's dividing people. And, you know, I, I believe there are many things that where there is right or wrong and we should stand up for those things. But I think especially as women, it's like you just and at Tribe Alive, it's like we want to create a a place where it's like you're you're all welcome here whether you can afford to buy a $20 necklace or a $250 dress like from a pricing perspective we want it to be accessible because so many brands are, should are cons- they're ethical but it's it's basically luxury and that's not accessible to the everyday yeah. consumer so we've cut so many people out just based on price mm-hmm. and then we've cut so many people out just based on sort of a self-righteous platform where, you know, none of us are doing it perfectly and, and all of us are trying. And so I I feel like it's really important for us that we're never shaming people. We, we Mm. don't usually talk about, I mean, I do encourage people to try to really step away from like the fast fashion consumer companies because the, I mean, that is causing major harm and hurt in the world. But it's also be okay with the fact that maybe you didn't know better and maybe you know better now and you slowly start to make those changes and you're yeah. not a bad person if you shop at Target. Could right. we all do better and know that we can do better? But it, it's not all or nothing and I think that if we ask people to be all 100% in on something, that's when we're going to lose momentum mm-hmm. and that's when people aren't going to engage because it just feels too hard. I did it to myself and got rid of everything in my closet and, you know, 25 things could maybe afford me one thing in the ethical fashion space and it felt paralyzing to me and yeah. being perfect felt paralyzing and so it's not realistic for my life that every single thing in my closet is completely ethically made and completely sustainable. And I think a lot of people would assume that it would look like that, but that's not the truth. I'm a human and I'm a normal woman and, right. and I'm just doing the best I can and I'm still learning and trying. And I think that's just a lifelong process for all of us is just trying to be better. Okay. I know you're loving this conversation with Carly and I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show and that's Cosbox. As you know, Cosbox is my favorite ethical subscription box and I have been a subscriber for over two and a half years. Each season, a new box is released filled with everything from accessories and home goods to jewelry and the best in skincare and wellness products. Now, these products are not only amazing, they are also doing the most good. The products are also not just beautiful, they're also useful. The summer box is sold out. I'm really sorry. (laughs) It's sold out fast. But, but, but do not fret because there is an exclusive special edition box that is available now that contains the best products from the spring and summer cause box. And there's even an exclusive product for this box. It's amazing. So to reserve your special edition spring summer cause box, go to stillbeingmolly.com slash cause box and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. Now back to my conversation with Carly. I have friends, like dear friends who just, who I love and they love me and, you know, and, and I'll be like, oh, I love that shirt. You know, where'd you get it? And they'll be like, Amazon, it was nine ninety nine, And I'm like, it's okay. Like, I'm not going to fault you. It's adorable. I love it. You know, and like, yes, like I shop at Target and, you know, and I have young kids and man, kids are right. so hard right. because they grow out of their clothes so quickly and they put a hurting on it and like my kids lord knows like they just get everything and ever anything on their clothes and yeah mine too so like sometimes like yes I gotta go to Target and I gotta right. you know buy a pair of five dollar shorts because like I know that they're not gonna fit in three months and I can't like <laughs> I'm not spending right. you know fifty dollars on a pair of shorts they're gonna wear for three months like I'm just not gonna do right. it right and it doesn't mean that you're a fraud or right. you're not an ethical fashion blogger it just means that you're a real 
human that right. people can relate to. I right. mean, and that's so important. Relatability, I think, right now is so important. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and you know, it's all about the quote unquote woke movement. Oh, I want yeah. to believe that I am a woke person. Me too. This, this ex governor, um, he's he was a governor in my hometown state, Massachusetts, and he made a really powerful statement where he's like, I just feel like, and he's very progressive, and he said, I feel like the woke movement needs to listen to the the waking. Like the mm. woke needs to invite the waking into the space. And that, you know, if, if we have this platform of, well, we just know better and you don't, and it's, it's like that's not healthy for anyone. And right. progress does not happen in that space. And I just really love that. Like, you know, listen, that some people are waking and that's okay. Yeah. I'm waking still in so many ways. Oh, that is good. I know. Don't you love that? When that you, I mean, it's good. I wish I could say that was my quote, but it no. was not. It was Deval Patrick, but yeah, I but thought it was great. Yes. I mean, and that is so applicable in so many areas of our lives in general. I mean, and I think like, you know, like I'm a Christian. So like as a, like as a Christ follower and somebody who like, I didn't grow up a Christian, like there are issues that I still wrestle with, with God all the time. And sure. I'm just like, Jesus, I don't, I, I'm reading what you're saying here. I don't necessarily know that I understand it. Like, and maybe it's one of those issues I'm going to wrestle with my whole life. Right. And like, when I get to heaven, it probably is not going to matter anymore. But like, maybe I'll ask you about it then. Um, right. You know, and, and I think like, you know, we sometimes we try to like categorize people and we try to divide ourselves. And that just does no good for anyone. Absolutely. Um, like at what point did we learn? Did we forget how to disagree with each other? Like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think when did that happen? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm like, when did this become? I mean, I think right now is a very special time in yeah. our country and Special's a very a good particular word. time. I, yeah, I'm like, do not have to go into that too deeply because yeah. I might never stop talking if I do. Yeah. Um, but so I think it's a really hard time, but I think it's an important time too, because we, there are, it has created a, you know, people who normally are on different sides of the spectrum, I think see the same issues and the same wrongs. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of issues that have united us, but I also feel like there's issues that just continue to divide us. And yeah, it's, you know, my husband and I were in this place. We have a multiracial family. We have a refugee immigrant daughter. So there's a lot of issues right now that are affecting us personally. And it was really hard for me for a long time to even have a conversation with mm. anyone about just the political climate and what our views were based on, you know, views of other people. Yeah. And I just sort of realized, you know, how, how is that helpful? Yeah. You know, just shutting people out, refusing to talk about it, refusing to share my perspective, because maybe if I share my perspective in a respectful, calm, kind way, you know, maybe that's how we learn from each other. And yeah. moving to Texas was really healthy for me. I, I come from a very progressive state, very liberal state, and I moved to one of the most conservative states in the country. And I think a lot of my misconceptions about maybe what conservatives were like, or maybe what, you know, Christians were like, because I didn't grow up in a Christian household. It was, none of it was true. I mean, mm -hmm. of course, it's like some stereotypes, you, you come across them and they're true. But I think living in a place that's so different from where I grew up, my views certainly haven't changed, but it's allowed me to really see the other side and respect the, the other side and understand the other side when it's not harmful to somebody else. Right. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. Um, to just, you know, I thought I was so open-minded and I was about the world, but I wasn't open-minded about certain issues in my own country. And I think that was really an important place that I needed to grow into. Yeah. And I love what you said just about how like, you know, there are certain issues that like just we can like, how can we have a constructive conversation? And like, how do we um, just as people, whether it's in politics or life or, you know, our mm -hmm. beliefs or our communities, like, we're all different. And so at what point do we begin to learn how to respect each other's differences and learn from each other's differences and appreciate each other's differences? Right. I mean, there's so many things like, I, I mean, I grew up in a home like my dad, my mom passed away when I was in high school, but like I saw the most loving, encouraging, supportive marriage. And like my parents were just madly in love with each other. Um, but my dad was, my dad is a, hardcore conservative Republican. And my mom was a like flaming liberal Democrat. So like, oh, I love that know, so 
so much and that I don't even know how that works. Yeah. But I love that story. And they really like they you know, they learned very early on in their marriage, like what they could safely talk about and what they couldn't. And I I remember like this is a this is one of those stories that just like warms my heart every time I think about it. But um the two thousand election. My mom, so my mom was sick for a really long time, and, and some the listeners know part of her story, but she um, she was a um, army nurse in Vietnam, and so she had a disease oh, wow. that she contracted due to her exposure of um, to Agent Orange, and so she was <sighs> sick for a very very long time, um, for about ten years, and the two thousand she died in two thousand two, but in two thousand, um, the day of the two thousand presidential election, she was so sick she could not get up and get to the polls. And she couldn't vote that day. And I remember her crying in her bed and she begged my dad to not go vote because she couldn't cancel (laughs) his out. (laughs) Oh, my God. I yeah. love your mom. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like she couldn't put her vote in, but if she canceled his vote, it was the same thing. Right. So she's like, if I she's like, that. she's like, if we don't go vote together, then it will be like both of us voted. <laughs> oh my gosh. That story. I, I love that you have that story to Isn't hold that, on to. That is amazing. Isn't that the best story? And my dad, yeah, he agreed. He's like, I won't go vote because you can't. And because um, she couldn't cancel his vote. So I just like, but that, that story always just cracks me up because it was such a picture of like what their differences were yet their Mm -hmm. love for each other and their respect for each other and like um you know transcended those differences and like I I learned so much from that because you know even in my own marriage like my husband and I we disagree on certain issues and that's okay and we've learned from each other on on things and um there are some things he's kind of come around on and some things I kind of come around on, you know, and, um, and and they, they vary in so many different ways, but I just think that like, you know, I I was modeled that in such a way that I'm so grateful for that. I know a lot of other kids did not get that kind of like modeling, um, in their parents. And, um, but I, it, it has taught me so many other things just in my relationships in general and how I approach, you know, meeting new people and making new friends and, um, you know, my community, like understanding that like my love for a person or my love for like my passion for people and my passion for caring about people surpasses, you know, their political, religious or like personal beliefs. Like it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like I love and I care about people and that's what matters to me. And so, you know, Yes, there are going to be issues that we disagree on, but like, how do we act like grown adults? <laughs> and, right, and just treat each other yes. with kindness and respect, and 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 it's hard. It, it is, is really hard, it especially is. when there are issues that are important to you that you feel like are at risk. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, as a family, it's been really hard, and I shut myself off to a lot of people after the election, and then just realized, okay, well, I'm contributing to the problem, you know? Mm. So I think that's what we have to think about. It's what my, my daughter goes to a Montessori school and they always are teaching about um, peacemakers. Mm. And sometimes she'll hear me say things that, you know, if I watch the news or I get upset about something, she might hear me say something that maybe isn't kind. And she's always like, mommy, are you, do you want to be a peacemaker or a peacebreaker? And I'm like, you know what, Ellie, I want to be a peacemaker. (laughs) I do. So I think I want to be a peacemaker, but I don't want to be passive and I don't want to be apathetic, but I want to respect people and I want to be kind always, yeah. regardless of, you know, what someone's views are, because we all know what we know yeah. and we, and we're just trying to do the best we can. So I think that's the thing too. It's, I don't think there are people out there trying to cause harm, trying to target certain groups of people. I think there are people who are afraid and don't know better. Yeah. And, you know, if, if we're not willing to stand up and maybe teach people what we might know yeah then you know where do we go from there yeah oh man and that you know we just we can learn so much from our kids oh the way our kids interact with each other and like that reminds me this is a little bit unrelated but sort of related so my daughter was in um her four-year-old preschool class this year and one of their big things was called being a bucket filler and so like if you use kind words if you were helpful if you were you know encouraging or whatever that's called being a bucket filler like you're filling somebody else's bucket but if you say something you know negative or if you lie or uh you know you don't you know you're not playing kindly or whatever you're being a bucket dipper and like I remember (laughs) one day like I wouldn't let her I don't know it was like 
like maybe she wanted to watch a show and I said no or something. And she's like, mommy, you're being a bucket dipper. And like she just walked out. And I was like, what? I'm a bucket dipper? I know. But I love like that kids are learning. Yeah. From an early age. Like, listen, you can be one thing or you can be the other. And they're, they're learning like which one to choose. And I feel mm-hmm. like as adults, we have to be reminded of that. Like, which one do we want to be? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, my dot, my seven-year-old, she's like my little guru. She's just like, I mean, she says things that just hold me accountable and make me think. And I, I feel like I have like this little Buddha walking around my house, like just constantly saying enlightening things and bringing me back to kindness. And so I'm lucky because she just has nothing but light and kindness inside of her. And Ugh. I have many other things inside of me. So she, yeah, I'm just so lucky because she really, I just want to be more like her. Oh, she's the best. She is the yeah, best. She's pretty amazing. Oh man. Um, okay. So Carly, um, before we transition to the get to know you portion, um, you know, so where do you, you know, obviously Tribe Live has come so far in four years and, um, your, you know, your collections are amazing. Everything Thank is you. beautiful and so well-made. And I, I mean, I, every time I wear like my Tribe Live earrings or carry my little Tribe Live clutch or wear a Tribe Live dress, like people always stop me and ask me about it because it's just oh, I love so that. beautiful. Um, where do you guys see yourself going in the next few years? Like what is, what's on your dream list for Tribe Alive? Well, our, you know, we just opened our first storefront. Yes. So that was sort of last year's dream list and just being more accessible to customers and being able to have a space that brings women together and partners with local nonprofits and, you know, does work in our own community. And our story is just wonderful and powerful and we want to be able to share it with more people. So we just kind of accomplished a really big dream of ours and we've been open three weeks now and it's, it's been amazing. So that was really what our focus was, um, this past year and these past few months, but, you know, looking into the future, our, it's, what's great. I feel like about us and about the amazing women that work for tribe alive is we all have just the same mindset and the same goal. And it's just to, employ people and employ them well. I wouldn't say that like we want to employ more people. I think I want to dial back and employ people better. So for us, we, you know, have really gotten to know our artisans and have an understanding of what their lives look like, look like, what the challenges are. And there are just areas of their life that we can have a bigger and better impact on. Yeah. You know, there's, um, we have this amazing artisan. Her name's Suleyma, and she works in Honduras. She's our, the jewelry production manager there, and she does all of our sampling. She's a master jeweler at this point, and she reached out to us, um, basically saying that she couldn't afford the matricula cost and basically the tuition and startup costs for her kids' school. And mm. it was a few hundred dollars, and I get this email, and it just hit me where I was like, this woman is probably the most important artisan that we have. She's bright. She's hardworking. She's talented. She's working full time. And yet she's still struggling. And, and we're paying very fair wages through well, the nonprofit we partner with pays very good wages in Honduras. Yet she's still tr- struggling to meet the tuition costs for her kids. And we were like, we just had this moment where we were like, we're not doing enough. Like yeah. we're just not doing enough. And Really, for us, we were like, what What do we believe is actually going to impact poverty? What is actually going to yeah. change the cycle of poverty in these women's lives? And the reality is, is the women that we work with will always live in poverty. We, mm-hmm. We're now able to provide them with employment that is gives them the opportunity to raise their children. But who's going to break the cycle of poverty in that family are their kids and it's their kids getting educated. So we've decided that um, we're looking to start a nonprofit leg where we're able to continue with our social enterprise and continue to be a part of employing women well to make our things, but that we really want to develop education sponsorship for the children of our artisans. Because Mm. in a lot of the countries these women live in, the public education system is really terrible, if even existent. And teachers are constantly on strike because they're not getting paid. And costs are high to even attend public school. And 
if you are poor and you're going to choose if your if your family eats or your kid has books, you have it's not a choice. You're choosing that your family eats. So we're just looking at increasing our impact model and and just doing more and diving deeper into the lives of our artisans and diving deeper into the social impacts that we have we as a brand can have and the programs we can help set up cuz you know, I think What's been really humbling for us is, yeah, we've really grown and we've done a lot of good things and we have an amazing artisan network and we're proud of our product, but there are so many things that we could be doing better and so many parts of our artisans' lives that we could have an impact on. And that's really what we're interested in is just, you know, walking alongside them in a more meaningful and a more impactful way. Mm. That is amazing. And I cannot wait to see you achieve that goal, that dream, um, and just the, the the massive impact that you guys are going to have. That is incredible, Carly. I love Thank it. Thank you. I love it. Well, this is the portion of the show where we get to just get to know you a little bit better on a, on a kind of fun level. Um, so I have some fun questions to ask you. And as my listeners know, this is also the portion of the show where my executive producer husband gets to insert his own sound effect or movie quote of choosing to transition us to the get to know you round. And I, love this. I love this portion. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, every week it's a surprise. I never know what he's going to pick. So um, so who knows? It's, it's always an adventure. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy. I mean, Mexico is way to hell down there and you're in here and that's the way it is. Yeah, right. That's the way it is. It's down there and I'm in here. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. The first question is, what is your go-to song at a karaoke night? <laughs> oh my gosh, Molly. I have no bigger fear in life than karaoke. I will not step foot in a karaoke oh bar. Oh my gosh. Like, it, no, I literally, the thought, I have a stomach ache even thinking about oh it right gosh, now. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Yeah I, yeah, I am like legitimately terrified of the thought of karaoke. So I can't even give you a song because it will never happen. No, that's I hilarious. never partake. I know, I, I have like a legit fear. That that, But I think that tells me so much about you and I love it. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. I think it's great. Uh, okay, if someone were to play you in a movie about your life, who would you want it to be? Oh, gosh. That's such a good question. Oh, let's see. Who? There's so many that I love. I mean, I really love Emma Stone. Oh, like, she's just the best. love her. Yeah, I love her. She's so I, funny. I that would be my choice. She is. And she's... And it's probably why I would want her to play me because I'm not really funny or quirky or and she is. And so I feel like she has something that I want a little bit of. Oh, yeah, I would choose her. I love it. Um, What is your guilty pleasure? So hmm, every night I'm a bit of a health freak. So it's like all day I am into green juices and like daily harvest bowls and yeah. I eat really healthy. And then I get in bed every single night and eat potato chips and drink wine. Oh every my gosh. Single night. <laughs> I mean, it not to excess, but like I look forward to that every day, like a little bowl of potato chips in bed with a little glass of wine. I love it. That's awesome. I love people's little secrets like that that are like yeah. not necessarily their secret, but they're like, yeah, because like I, I mean, I work out at um, a local gym called Burn Boot Camp, and they have locations all over. But um, yeah, it's so funny. Like when some of our trainers will just be like, I mean, because they're so healthy all the time, and they'll just be like, oh yeah, I love a margarita. Like give me yeah. all the sugar, salt rim. <laughs> like I want a big margarita, or like somebody would be like, yeah. I will sit and crush a bowl of chips and salsa, or you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely I mean, and it's like a daily go to. But lo- it's my thing at night. I love it. Um and this is my last question, and that is for what are you most grateful today? What am I most grateful? Well, I think just my family. Every day is, you know, my family, my friends, I think just the people that surround me, the women I get to work with every day. I think, you know, I have th- I'm raising three girls in my home and I'm just 
I'm so grateful for just women right yeah. now and the women that surround me, whether it's my daughters or my granddaughter or my friends or my cousins or my aunts, my mother, my sister. Like I just am surrounded by really inspiring, powerful women. And I think right now, especially at this point of time, that's what I'm most grateful for, mm. to just be so inspired by women. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, Carly, this has been incredible and such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to chat with me and to tell me the Tribe Live story and and to really just, I loved getting to a chance to just kind of talk about some stuff that's tough, but I think it's important yeah. conversations to have. Um, and, you know, it's conversations I love to have because I think that we are able to grow through them. So thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. This is so fun. I would like to put in an application to be your friend. At this yes, point, so. um, we are totally friends. We are totally friends. <laughs> okay, great. No, thank you for having me. It was such an honor. Goodness, look, I know I've said it before and I'll say it again, but this really was one of my favorite episodes. I look up to Carly so much and I love everything that she does and stands for. And Tribe Alive is such an incredible brand that not only makes beautiful things, but also empowers beautiful people. I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox and use that coupon code Molly for $15 off. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are a new listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing, amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with what they do for a living. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out. Thank you so much for your support. Now, you can head on over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this, and make sure you are subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode. And if you have a moment, would you mind leaving us a review? Leaving me a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. And it just kind of gives us that social proof to other people that you love the show and you think it's awesome. And if you share the show on social media, which I love when you do, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman. And the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Mm-hmm.